Good evening. We are in Luke 21. If you have a Bible, why don't you turn there? Luke chapter 21. Jesus just warned the disciples about the... um, the pride and the self-glory of the um, religious rulers, specifically the scribes. And um, as he said that, he mentioned that they, um, uh, they stole from the widows. They, um, they it just took advantage of them. And this is always the case uh, in man when he's not guided by God, when he's not truly born again. He will take the things of God and manipulate them and use them for his own glory. And um, he can do things that um, really, um, as others trust him uh, to be representative of God, then they end up being uh, a source of stumbling to many people. And so Jesus, again, uh, was always um, warning against the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees. And um, here he is on um, Tuesday. Um, he has entered Jerusalem on, uh, on Sunday. And he's been bombarded with questions and uh, attempts to entrap him, um, but they just c- couldn't do it. So in chapter 21, we looked at verses 1 through 4 in depth this morning. I'm not going to uh, belabor the point. Um, I would encourage you to get the message if you weren't here. But it has to do with the um, widow who cast in two mites. And uh, Jesus is there in the temple precinct. And he says, and he uh, looked up, And he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow uh, putting in two mites. We can see right off the bat the sharp contrast. Again, as Jesus is there, he um, uh, he is um, opposite of the treasury, we're told by Mark. And Mark is the other um, parallel passage that... uh, that we have the only two mentions of in Mark 12, verse 41 through 44. And so Jesus is sitting opposite um, the treasury there. And, um, and, and having spoken just about this Christ, he looks up and he sees the wealthy people who are giving the money. And then he sees this woman. Um, this is the treasury area with the depository. The temple was beautiful, as we're going to see. It was just uh, luxurious. Herod had expanded it from Solomon's. Um, uh, Herod was an incredible builder. He, he's the one that um, uh, had a Masada uh, erected. He made a man-made, man-made mountain, a Herodian. Um, he's, he's only about four foot five, a little guy, but um, an incredible builder. If you've been over the with us in Jerusalem, the um, Wailing Wall, the rocks, some of those stones are so huge, and, and yet we don't know how they put them together, and there was no mortar or nothing. I mean, you can't even put a knife in between them. They're so together. Uh, some maybe two, three tanks uh, in, in weight, uh, just incredible. And yet, in, in this glorious atmosphere that's there, what a sharp contrast it is as he sees these men and their thirsting collection baskets or um, uh, containers there in the shape of a trumpet where they would put all their uh, their different offerings in. And um, and here he sees the two widow, uh, the widow that puts two mites, which really is, is, is quite insignificant compared to the wealth that some of these uh, rich guys were putting in. And yet Jesus is going to give some important lessons here to his disciples. And Mark tells us that he, he called his disciples to himself. 
And so um, the crowd's in the background still, uh, indirectly, but to his uh, disciples he's speaking. And um, in, in verse 3, he says, And he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. Now I can imagine the disciples were kind of scratching their heads at this point. Uh, these two mites, a little uh, brass coin, literally a thin um, one. Uh, a quarter of a cent is probably what it's worth. And yet, um, Jesus makes this astonishment declaration that this woman has put in more than, all, than, than the ones who were put in there. Now, we look at the amount in the, um, that is given and we get caught up by the amount or we look at the size of a house in comparison to a smaller one. And, and those are natural things and, and they're part of our, our world. But Jesus here, he can read the motive of the heart. Uh, Luke tells us, or Mark tells us that he, he saw how they were giving. And so the motive, the method, the pomp, the glory, um, the, um, the hypocrisy to an extent. Uh, we, don't, we don't always see that in the heart of man because we don't know the heart. Uh, we just judge matters by what is done and what is said and try to put it all together. And sometimes we're right about a person, sometimes we're not. Um, but here again, um, the sharp contrast uh, between these two and he qualifies what he just says in verse 4 says for all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had so this woman a widow a widow who um, is um, vulnerable to everybody she has no provider uh, the law understood the vulnerability of widows, so the law provided in Deuteronomy 14 and 24 and other areas about um, not doing injustice to her in the legal matters, allowing uh, a tithe to be taken every three years for the strangers, the fatherless. Um, there was also to be a, um, a gleaning that was to be allowed by them, uh, corners of the field, so they can go out and get uh, uh, provisions. And so... Um, here she is, and she's giving these two little mice that to you and myself would even be insignificant, but to her that's all she had, and it was her livelihood. In other words, this is what it would take for her to eat that day. Um, and I'm sure that when they saw her going in there, they, they looked down on her. But she, without any doubt, wanted to get in and get out as as uh, soon as possible. But just like Jesus, he um, he looks up and he realizes what is going on and he takes advantage to instruct his disciples here at this time um, we mentioned this morning in second corinthians chapter eight and nine paul gives many many principles i encourage you to read that regarding the macedonians who were going to give part of an offering for the poor saints of Jerusalem. And he gives incredible principles there that it's got to be from our heart. It's got to be not my compulsion for anybody. Um, that we have to do it hilariously. And that um, uh, God will never be a debtor to anybody. And that um, it's a privilege to be able to uh, give to God. We just finished in the previous chapter where they, um, uh, they tried to trap Jesus by saying it's unlawful to pay taxes to Caesar. And he uh, went on to expound and, and he says, you know, and give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar by the coin, and give to God what belongs to God. And so, again, the um, the incredible wisdom of the Lord to be able to disarm the men that try to trap him, 
and at the same time give such um, incredible spiritual application and principles that were not only for their day, but these principles and these lessons go on for every generation till the Lord returns. So these are things that last forever. Not today. We're living in a society that says that there are no absolutes. Everything is subjective. Everything is relative. Well, not according to the Bible, not according to God, and certainly not according to Jesus. Culture will change. People will change. But um, the Word of God uh, never changes, nor does God. Having instructed them that this woman really gave more for the very reason that she was trusting God for her, what she was going to get that day. Luke moves on now to speak about the temple. Um, verse 5 and 6, um, we get what prompted the discussion. And um, when you come to this section now from 5 um, down to 38, many tried to make... Um, the verse 5 to 38, the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and Mark 13. And though there are similarities, there are also um, uh, significant differences that make them distinct. Um, Luke puts Jesus in the temple precinct. Matthew and Mark sitting on the Mount of Olives. Luke's key sign is the armies uh, surrounding Jerusalem, as we'll see. Uh, Matthew and Mark, the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet in Matthew 24, 15. Um, Luke's question is focused on the destruction of the temple, um, when and what sign. And then he comes towards the end to give us a bit on the end of the age. But he focuses more on their generation and he does give us some of the end time. Uh, Matthew and Mark... Um, encompass the end of the age. Remember, they asked, uh, when shall these things be? What shall be a sign of that coming um, of the Son of Man? Um, so the signs, when, and, and, and Jesus, and when you look to Matthew and Mark, they, they, they are answered in, in kind of reverse order. So um, they're talking about the stones that are beautiful in verse 5. Then as the Son spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with uh, beautiful stones and um, donations. So this is what prompted it. The temple was one of a kind. Um, the pillars, um, huge, um, enormous size, 67 feet by 9 feet by 72 feet high. Uh, all one piece, the, the, the stones, the, um, the temple was uh, plated with gold when the sun hit it, it just gleamed off and um, it was Jerusalem the golden and, and all the pilgrims would come donations would be sent um, not only from uh, not only from the people there as we see here, but also from abroad, and they would send um, um, many large amounts, Josephus uh, the historian tells us um, again some of you have been there and you've seen some of those things now Jesus predicted the destruction of, um, of the temple. Here in verse 6, it says, These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, they're admiring this incredible, 
incredible edifice, and yet Jesus all of a sudden declares that one day in, in the near future, we know it's 70 A.D., there would not be one stone left upon another. Once again, if you went with us last year when we were um, over there by uh, Robinson's Arch, we, we come back and you can see the Cheesemaker Valley, which runs along the Wailing Wall. Uh, and on this side where it's still excavated, you still have a, a pile of huge stones that are in the very same place that the Roman soldiers cast from the Temple Mount. If you go up the stairs to the fellowship hall, when you get to the top, look to the right, and you see that picture right there, the original stones. Um, they couldn't even imagine this. Uh, all the years that it took to refurbish it, everything else, and yet Jesus says there's not going to be one stone upon another. And we know that this took place because they, they set the temple on fire and all the gold melted. And to recover the gold, they had to remove one stone from another and grab the gold. And so to the letter, uh, this uh, was fulfilled. But at this point, you can imagine how difficult it was for the disciples to be able to imagine this. Um, and yet they did believe Jesus. But, you know, just like you and I, we believe a lot of things about the Word of God. But sometimes it's hard for us to imagine because it's so incredible or so impossible from our human perspective. In verse 7 down to 19, you have the characteristics of that day. He says, So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what will be... Um, uh, and what will be... Uh, and what sign will be there uh, when these things are about to take place? Now, again, Matthew and Mark... Um, when, what, and the signs. And, but they answer differently. Here Luke is focusing now immediately on their present uh, period as he's speaking with them to the time of the destruction in 70 AD. Um, he answers both of the questions, when and what sign. Um, he says, and he said, take heed that you... Uh, are not, uh, you're not deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has drawn near, therefore do not go after them. So right off the bat, he instructs them about the deception that uh, will be coming. Um, the fact that they were the Christ themselves, that, um, that they were to follow, and um, the time has come near for for the second coming, uh, for him to return. Um, but he says, don't go after them. Now, as we read these things, again, he's talking them to their day and the period between um, prior to the ascension to the time of 70 AD. But we can also see this that, that has taken place throughout the years ever since then. But he's talking directly to them about that time. And in verse, um, verse 9, he says, but when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified. For these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. So here in verse 9, wars and rumors of war commotions, Matthew and Mark also tell us that. But again, they give the short term and the long term. 
And here he's talking about the turmoil that's going to come. Um, you're talking, Jesus left in 33. You're talking about 70. Uh, you've got rounded off 40 years or so. Uh, many things happen. Look how much has happened in our own nation just in the last 15 years. How dramatic this nation has changed. And remember that God is the one who's in control of nations. He gave the uh, dream to Nebuchadnezzar of the time of the Gentiles. And uh, he gave successively the empires that were going to conquer and replace the previous one. And yet every one of them at the time that they reigned, they were the most powerful. But no one stays on top forever. And God is the one who has set the limits and the times. And so here again, the key thing is, but the end will not come immediately. Because they're looking for the coming, the end of the age. Well, he hasn't even left. And there is first to be the destruction of the temple. And then he said to them, Nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Matthew and Mark again deal with this issue. Um, there would be a confederacy of nations against others. Um, we have seen much of this in our own history. So some of these things, though they're being spoke to them for that period, there are characteristics that follow the human history of man as we uh, become um, uh, embroiled in uh, different wars and we try to convince others to be on our side or their side and, and, and a group um, confederates to wage war against another one. And, and this is, um, if you look at the years of war to the years of peace that have taken place in man's history, it's an insult to God. Uh, we, are, we are not a peaceful people. We are not good people. We, we, we seem to always need to pick a fight with somebody one way or the other. About the only time the nations really have some productivity and some sense of sanity and morality is when they're rising up out of the ashes. And they come out of great distress and affliction and slavery or, or bondage or, or constrained by a dictator. But how quickly we forget. In verse 11, he says, And there will be great earthquakes in various places, and famines and pestilence, and there will be a fearful um, sights and great signs from heaven. Now, he's talking to them for their time. So, there are things that took place with eclipse and different things of the sort. Now, we know that these also, in Matthew and Mark, in the book of Revelation, there will be much of this phenomena that will take place during the Great Tribulation, um, where the stars will fall, 150 pound hailstones and different things that, uh, that will take place. Uh, uh, one earthquake will uh, just, um, uh, not a mountain or an island will be found. Um, uh, some believe it might be a polar flip that takes place. Um, scientists tell us that about every eight, 7,000 it happens. I don't know how they know that, but nevertheless, that, that'd be a good guess. Um, it's not one of these uh, San Andreas uh, little ones. Um, this is the, it's a horrific earthquake when that takes place. 
And so, uh, here again, he, he's, he's giving them a period of time in which they're going to be able to judge because they're going to be alive. Uh, but before all these things, verse 12 says, now he takes them right there, he answers the two questions. Now, he um, is going to deal with them about the persecution that's going to take place between the time of his ascension and the destruction in 70 AD. But before all these things, those that he has just said, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you and del delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And so here again, very accurate. The key is before all these things. Those things from verse 7 to 11. The persecution would come from their own members at times. As we'll see. But here he mentions the synagogues, the prisons. that brought before kings for the name of Jesus. So in other words, they were not, they were looking for a kingdom, remember. But that wasn't to take place. Jesus was going to be crucified. And yet the book of Acts, chapter 5, chapter 11, 16, 24 to 26, we see the persecution that came upon the church as Peter, James, and John, and they're in prison. James is killed by the sword. Uh, an angel lets Peter out of the prison. Uh, he goes to um, Mark's house, John Mark's house, knocks on the door. Rhoda comes to the to the door and she says, oh, there's, there's Peter. Ah, I said, it's his angel. They were, they were praying for his release and God released them and they were praying without faith because God released them. Aren't you glad that sometimes you pray and, and God just overrides your, your way you're praying and he's going to do what he wants sometimes? But then some of the times he only does things as we pray. And so um, it's important that we see here the, um, uh, the accuracy of the persecution that we have the record of in the book of Acts. And of course, one of the greatest persecutors was Saul of Tarsus as he came and, and just make havoc of the church. He would imprison, he would cause Christians to blaspheme. He would uh, put them to death. In fact, he was there standing when Stephen was stoned. The, the clothes of Stephen were placed at his feet. And as uh, Stephen was preaching, um, Paul was brought before Felix, Festus, uh, Agrippa. And ultimately, Caesar. And so, uh, here Jesus is preparing them uh, for this um, future persecution. In uh, verse 13 says, But it will um, turn, turn out for you as an occasion um, for testimony. So in other words, verse 13, the Lord is saying, When they do take you before uh, kings and magistrates and the synagogues and prison. It's going to be an opportunity for you to share about me. Sharing the gospel. Um, this happens all over the world. We try to keep you guys up on what's going on in Iran and some of the brothers and sisters that are in prison and what God is doing through them and using them. Uh, some um, have been released, others have not, and others will not be released, and they'll die. And yet we hear of incredible witnesses that goes on 
um, if you um, ever read the, the Jesus Freaks, um, kind of the modern day uh, books of martyrs, Fox's books of martyrs, of, of Christians within our own last century, the things that they've gone through and, and how they've witnessed and how God has used them and the old USSR, the things that Christians went through. Uh, China, Mao's cultural revolution, um, and today in Iran and, and Turkey and other areas, uh, the same goes on. Um, and so, verse 14 and 15, the promise of providing the words before their persecutors is given to them. Therefore, um, settle it in your hearts not to medi uh, uh, meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. What an incredible promise here. Again, we have the book of Acts. That we can see this to the T as um, John and Peter and Paul. And, and God gave them the words. One time Paul was just ministering to Agrippa and, and saying, Agrippa, I know you believe. Agrippa says, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Paul expressed the fact that he would wish that everybody present was all together as he, except for the bonds he was in. And yet, of course, when he appealed, he ultimately went to Caesar. And so, um, we hear testimonies of people who have been in prison who are Christians like this. Um, in America, we haven't experienced this as of yet. We uh, read about it. We hear about it. But here again, the Lord is so faithful as He gives this promise. They weren't to be concerned about how to respond. Sometimes we're concerned. Well, you know, if I go there, I'm going to say this. And then we prepare ourselves and we're thinking through it. And we're, you know, I'm, but Jesus says, just relax. Rest in me. Uh, you're being placed there for my name's sake. And that He would give them a mouth of wisdom. And they would not be able to contradict or resist those words. And how true that is when we see Stephen. As he is there in chapter 6 verse 10. And it says that they, they were unable to resist the wisdom of the spirit of, wisdom, of Stephen. Jesus prepared them in John 14, 15 and 16 about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He would not speak of himself. He would bring all things to remembrance. He would teach them all things. He would show them things to come. And today we have the Spirit of God that dwells in us. And He is faithful to deal with us, to minister to us, to speak to us very personally, to direct and to guide us as we wait upon Him. And so God is ever faithful. In verse um, 16, He says, um, You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, um, relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. And you can imagine, they're sitting there listening to the Lord. Here they just came with the idea of coming to Jerusalem to set up the kingdom and to start reigning. <laughs> and they started listening to all this stuff. Family members, friends, even to the point of death. These things are, um, are a reality not only for Christians in that century and the following centuries and will be true in the great tribulation but these things have happened 
throughout man's history at different times and different governments. Certainly under Hitler, this took place with the SS and the, the uh, uh, Hitler's youth movement as they would turn in their parents. They were so devoted to, to Hitler. Um, Mao's uh, cultural revolution, the same thing happened. And so we see kind of the same thing happening here in the United States, in many ways through our politically correctness, that everybody's ready to kind of report and turn in. Uh, it starts in a very innocent way uh, of, of uh, school education, taking control over parents. And then it's, uh, it's uh, doctors, and then it's paramedics, and, and then it's government. And it's a slippery slope that takes place. And though some interventions are legal and proper and they should be, but it's the advantage that powerful people that are corrupt take through natural means to corrupt and to control the lives of other people. And uh, if you think it can't happen again, uh, as it did with Hitler or with Mao, you are uh, a bit mistaken. It will happen again. And that the Lord tarries many, many times over. Verse 17, he says, And you will be hated um, by all for my name's sake. So, it isn't because they're obnoxious. It isn't because they did something wrong. It's because they were true witnesses of Jesus Christ. In Acts 1.8, before he ascends, he spent 40 days with them. He says, You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And that's why he said they were to wait for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But not a hair of your head shall be lost by your patience, possess ye your soul. Kind of a bit confusing in here now. He's telling about persecution, being turned in and dying. And then he says not a hair on your head is going to be lost and harmed. Well, Jesus is speaking about the fact that even they kill you, don't fear the one that can kill the body, but the one who has control over the soul in eternity. When Christians are killed, martyred, or die, they are instantly present before the Lord. And this is what Jesus is getting at. They, they cannot hinder the believer from eternity. Death only transforms me into that state of presence with God and when my body is glorified I will be with him forever in that body and so the exhortation is a true warning about real peril but the encouragement here is that man can do nothing to your soul to your spirit they can kill the body but not not the real you and so, in your patience, possess ye your souls, verse 19 declares, Second uh, Corinthians 5, 1 through 8, instantly present before the Lord. Now in verse 20, he gives the signs for the destruction of the temple. So he told him about the signs. Then he tells him, he goes back, now let's go back between the spirits going to be persecution. Now he returns to the destruction of the temple. He says, but... When you are in Jerusalem, or, or when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its destruction is near. 
And so here is the presence of the Roman army that would be coming to destroy. And then let um, those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let, let those who are in the midst of her depart. And let not those who are in the country enter her. So the clear warning here uh, in verse 20 and 21 is that the judgment that Jesus declared over Jerusalem would fall. In 70 AD, Titus would come with the 10th legion of Rome and he would surround the city. So this is the sign that he's giving them. When shall these things be? When you see the Roman army surrounding the city of Jerusalem. That's the sign, singular, that they asked for. And he warns that those who are in the city and they start seeing that, that they would be well off to flee. Now we know through the historians that Christians who did flee, they fled to the city of Pella and they survived. We know that the apostles fled. They were not killed. Those that were left. And um, not only departing, but those who would see the armies from outside and they were in the country. They would not dare to think, well, I'll flee to the city to protect me. Because that's what usually people would do. He says, that's the worst thing you can do. Just go away. In verse 22, he says, For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. So, Jesus is telling this is directly related to the words that he stated in Luke 19, 41-44, as he wept over Jerusalem. And he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you would have known this your day, the things that were promised to you, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And he went on to declare the destruction in Matthew 23, 37 to 38. He wanted to gather them as a chick gathers, a hen gathers her chicks on their way, but he, they would not. And so he said, you shall not see me henceforth till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he wept over Jerusalem. Here he lays it out for them. And 23 and 24 the warning about 70 A.D. comes. He says, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing um, babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. So here we get the distressful time that are going to come, the ones that will suffer the greatest, of course, are women. And of those, those who are pregnant and those who are giving suck to a young infant, they cannot flee, they cannot move as fast. And so it was a horrible time that was to come. Um, those who, um, who died by the sore were about a million hundred thousand, we're told. Those who were taken captive to the nation was 95,000. And Jerusalem was trampled until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, 
The time of the Gentiles began with Nebuchadnezzar. He was the head of gold. And then the succeeding empires of Medo-Persia, silver, um, Greece, brass, and the legs of iron, Rome. And then there was an, an intermission, which is the church age. And the next thing we have that's coming is the Ten-Nation Confederacy that will give their allegiance to the Antichrist. That is the last aspect of the time of the Gentiles. So we are kind of like in, a, in a, an intermission before the final empire of the time of the Gentiles through the Ten-Nation Confederacy, the common market, the, the, um, the uh, economic community of Europe, many different names, but it will end up with ten nations, the number changes. And so uh, when Jesus is speaking about here, um, about the time of the Gentiles, he's speaking about the whole duration of time in which Jerusalem really is under control of the Gentiles uh, for the most part. Now, Israel as a nation did return in 1948 and declared its independence. And in June of 1967, they did take possession. They took possession of Jerusalem for the first time. But there's still many, many Gentiles within the city. Though she claims it to be her capital and not many nations acknowledge that, but it is their capital. And... Um, but the ultimate final control will not be till the millennial kingdom. Um, the Temple Mount is a good example. They gave it to Jordan when they took it. The king is saying, and, 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 and he there gave it over to the PLO. And so it's still under Muslim control. And sometimes we can't even go up there when we go on tours because they get a little hostile. But... Um, here again, um, difficult times and that we can verify through history. It was horrible. Um, um, women ate their babies, their children. Uh, uh, there was uh, roaming mobs in the city that killed so many of their own. Uh, no food, no water. Uh, horrible times. Um, in verse 24, And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into the nations, and Jerusalem will be trodden by Gentiles until the time the Gentiles be fulfilled. And so, again, he's uh, running a long course scenario from the uh, beginning of, of the persecution uh, to the destruction of the temple, um, to the intermission to the final uh, empire of the ten toes comprising of iron and clay that uh, have a type of democracy, but they don't gel together. It's weak. Verse 25 to 28. Now we move really into the area of the second coming of Jesus. Um, the parallel passages is Matthew 24, 29 through 31, Mark 13, 24 through 27. Um, those will help you out. And in 25 and 26, you have the supernatural phenomena. It says... And, and there will be uh, signs in, um, in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth, distress uh, of nations with perplexing uh, perplexities, and the sea and the waves roaring. So here, in verse 25, um, the distress of nations, perplexities, um, um, problems that have no solutions. 
And as we look to our world today, certainly we see that the world has become so small. It is, uh, it is no longer isolated nations. The problems that plague one nation plague the world. Uh, there is no getting uh, away from this. Um, now, this will also be the reason for the Antichrist appearing after the rapture. He will have all the solutions, the uh, uh, economically and government and religious-wise and everything. And, and um, Israel will make a covenant with him, Daniel 9, 27. But he will be a deceiver. He comes and he conquers with a, uh, with a bow and no arrows through diplomacy. He rides a white horse, false peace, Revelation chapter 6. Uh, the first three and a half years, uh, he is everything that the Jews are looking for. He builds the temple. Uh, but then in the middle, the abomination of desolation, Matthew 24, 15, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he goes into the temple, he declares himself God, and he demands that everybody worship him through a mark on the right hand of the forehead. Without that mark, you can't buy, you can't sell. Now we can see a lot of these things moving in that direction even now, in many different ways. And that's why we believe that the Bible teaches that Jesus will remove his church prior to the tribulation and the great tribulation and the appearance of the Antichrist at the beginning of those uh, seven years. Now, the Old Testament has much to say about this. He calls it the day of the Lord, the day of indignation, the day of wrath, the day of calamity. And um, you have um, Isaiah chapter 13, uh, Joel chapter 2, uh, Amos chapter 5. Revelation chapter 6 all the way to 18. It speaks about the stars and, 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 and the moon turning blood red, the stars falling, uh, earthquakes, famines, pestilence. Um, uh, death will flee for five months from those who attempt to kill themselves. Uh, they won't be able to die. Uh, horrible time that such as has never been before, the scriptures tell us. Um, and yet we're going to have the plead of, of um, Jesus towards the end here that we might pray and watch to, and that we be worthy to escape the things that are going to come upon the earth. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 9 and First uh, Thessalonians 5, 9. He, has not, uh, he, has, um, he will remove us from the hour, Revelation 3, 10, that will come upon all earth dwellers. We're heavenly citizens. And so, hearing the supernatural phenomena affecting nature. Verse 26, men's hearts failing them um, from fear and the expectation of those things which are uh, coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Um, whether we will see any of this prior to it, it's not really clear. I, I think it's, it's what things will happen once the church is removed. It's very clear in the book of Revelation. They seem to line up with that more than anything. Um, now remember, Peter quoted a lot of this. He quoted Joel in the book of Acts in the day of Pentecost. And he, he quoted Joel about the Spirit being poured out in the last days. And then he went through and just continued the prophecy all the way to the end of the tribulation and never made a distinction between the short term 
and the long term. He just ran it all together. In verse 27, it says, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. The second coming of Jesus will occur along with his church. Revelation 19 shows us very clear that we will be returning with him as he fights the battle of Armageddon and as he sets up the kingdom age. When Jesus returns, he will come as lightning out of the east, Matthew 24, 27 says. The book of Acts, chapter 1, 9 through 11, Revelation 1, 7. Uh, no one's going to have to be told. Everybody will see him. Every eye, those that pierce him, everybody will know the return of Jesus Christ. Daniel speaks about it in Daniel seven thirteen through 14. Uh, one like the Son of Man, coming in power and in glory. When these things begin to happen... Then the believer is to look up as we see many of these things that are going in that direction. And we see the perplexity of the nations. We see the different things that go on. Even if it may be earthquakes. These are natural things that continue to go on. But as we see things intensify and become more um, uh, anarchical, if you will. Everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. Law makes no difference anymore. Uh, from the highest office down to the normal person. Um, these are very, uh, very scary things. Um, but it says they will see the Son of Man. And then in verse 28 it says, Now when these things um, begin to happen, look up and lift up your head, for your redemption draws near. So, it's going to be apparent to those who are present, the church, by the phenomena that takes place in terms of the difficulties of the world, uh, perhaps such as earthquakes and, and famines, and we've had terrible famines. Um, you always have governments that try to um, have a monopoly on food because if you can control food, you can control nations. It's real simple. If you're a nation and you're self-supported within food, then you are safe from attack from the greatest uh, way that they can do to withhold food and water. This is what they would do. They would circle a city and surround it, not let no water or food in and, and just starve them out. And that's the easiest and the most effective and so, as we look to all the difficulties of, of, and we've seen food rising lately a lot more, you're going to see clothing rising. These are not uh, coincidences. We're moving towards that direction. The governments are very clever uh, to manipulate the masses and to uh, uh, control things and to create crises <laughs> and uh, solutions and things when the evidence um, does not warrant it. But um, they think that they're smarter than the common people. So nothing really has changed since the days of Jesus as he spoke to these men. 
Verse 29, down to 33, we have the parable of the fig tree. Then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. So Luke here adds in all the trees. Mark and Matthew don't have it. When they are ready, budding, you see and know that yourselves that summer is now near. So the fig tree is symbolic really of Israel. It's consistent throughout Scripture. Uh, Jeremiah 24, 1 through 5. Hosea chapter 9, verse 10. Uh, the vine is also an emblem of Israel as we see Isaiah 5. But here um, it speaks about the nation of Israel. Now, prior to 1948, the nation of Israel did not exist. Since 1948, May 48, Israel is a nation. Now, people don't like that, but she's a nation. And so really, these prophecies in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21 are more relevant and indicate the nearness of the Lord because after 2,000 years, God brought the nation of Israel back in fulfillment of Ezekiel 36 and 37. It's not completely fulfilled because they're back in the land, but they, God has not poured His Spirit upon them. That will happen at the end of the, of the great tribulation as they call on the Lord. And so, um, Israel, the fig tree, is very, very, very key. Prior to 48, many of these prophecies could not have been possible because there was no nation of Israel. And so, you also, verse 31, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. So, of course, he's talking forward to the generation that's going to see these things, not the disciples that are there. It's common sense. They wouldn't see it. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away Till all things take place. What generation? The generation that is living when these things take place. Okay? So again, 1948. Uh, we were in Israel in the 50th year of Jubilee. What a celebration it was as we were there in the streets. Incredible. How much longer? No one knows. No man knows the day or the hour. But we have many different things that Jesus gave us and particular signs and phenomena. As we look to the world, as we see how it's becoming a one-world mindset, as we're seeing the animosity and the hostility towards Israel by all the world, our major universities are hostile, our own president, as of late, this last week particularly because the House Speaker invited Netanyahu to come to speak and they bypassed protocol. Of all people to speak about protocol. My Lord. But we see things happening. Zechariah, God speaking through him, says in the, end, the latter days, I will make Jerusalem a troublesome stone to the whole world. 
We know that every nation will turn their back on Israel. Ezekiel 38 and 39, Russia, with their confederacy of Islamic nations, will attack Israel. And God will destroy those armies. At that time, I believe the rapture will take place at the same time simultaneously. And as God destroys those nations, Israel will collect the war surplus and use them for fuel for seven years, it says. The Antichrist will be their savior, as we said before. And so we see everything being set up. Verse 33 says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. And so, you can count on this. We have different opinions about certain verses, different people. But overall, we know that whether we understand it clearly or not, it will come to pass. What Jesus spoke about was prophetic. All the prophecies that were to be fulfilled in past years have been fulfilled. All those that are yet to be fulfilled will be fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away. It will come to a close. But the words of Jesus will never fail. They will be fulfilled. Now comes in verse 34 the warning and counsel of Jesus for the believer. He says, But take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. Now he's still talking to his disciples. It's twofold. That which is coming from that period to 70 AD. Be careful. Be watchful. Be praying. But also for the future generation that sees all these things before Christ returns and the Antichrist come. To be praying. To be watchful as we see these things. Lest he says here, your heart be weighed down with carousing, riotous living. You look to our nation and the world, the debauchery that goes on every day. I, I grew up in the 60s, so we weren't angels. And immorality and sexuality and drugs and drinking have always been part of human society. But when you look to how far our culture has come and how depraved the youth of America as well as the populace at large what they don't consider to be evil at all wrong or bad it's amazing Paul in Romans 1 speaks about God that his wrath is manifested every day against ungodliness. He speaks about how when they knew God, they didn't want to glorify Him as God, but they worshiped the creature more than the Creator, which is blessed forevermore. He gives of a threefold giving up to unclean thoughts, vile affections, a reprobate mind. 
He speaks about the men and the women exchanging the natural use of their uh, heterosexuality, a man for a woman, a woman for a man, exchanging a man for a man, a woman for a woman. And he speaks about that depravity and that low state of man that they, they, they flaunted, and, and he says, and they receive the consequences of such choices and lifestyle which is fitting for them. Because when they knew God, they didn't want to glorify Him as God. So no one is ignorant to God or the existence of God. We refuse to acknowledge Him. And we brashly live contrary to Him and almost challenging Him. What are you going to do about it? And it's amazing. Here again the warning. In verse he goes on drunkenness, as we spoke about, cares of life, days to come upon you unexpectedly. I just, I, I just this week, I, I was here, and there was a young man that came in, and he was sitting in the, uh, where you come in the front office there in the hallway, and um, 27 years old, and just at, at the end of his wits. You know, he's involved and just drinking all the time. He doesn't know... Well, he can't remember what he does, where he went, everything else. Just 27, involved in all kinds of stuff. He's just, he's just fearful. The destruction of your life through all this junk. And the world doesn't say, stop. It says, go. It gives you a green light. And it's amazing how many lives are destroyed today in our nation Wasted potential of lives. Verse 35. It says the time, that time will affect the entire world. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. And so the invitation to escape this period. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Here's a warning and invitation. He's talking to his disciples. If there was no need to warn, why would he tell them that? You warn believers. You don't warn non-believers. You evangelize them. They're dead. This is a great encouragement to us that we are to watch and be praying. Understanding the times that we live in. Taking the pulse of the world. Not being sucked into the um, nonchalantness of today. Oh, everything's going to be okay. We've always gotten out of everything. I pray to God we would get out of this mess. I think of my children. I think of my grandchildren. And so I have to come back to God is faithful and sufficient as He was in Daniel's day and Esther's day. As He has been for millions of Christians through most difficult times. They never had an opportunity to live in an America but they've lived in lands that they were just persecuted and God was sufficient. 
And so we always have to remember that. And so that we be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. I am looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ more than ever before. And while I'm looking, I'm being busy, occupying till He comes, preaching the gospel, doing as much as I can. But um, let me tell you, right now we'll just be fine <laughs> if He came. But then on the other side, you remember and you think about people who don't know Him. Many of my f friends or loved ones that haven't come to the Lord. And so um, there's a, a sweet and bitter in our desire uh, for the Lord's coming. He finishes the chapter with um, a daily habit of Jesus in 37, 38. And in the daytime, He, Jesus, was teaching in the temple. But at night, He went out and He stayed on the mount called Olivet. So the temple is up on the mount there. He comes down. The mountain, out the east gate, down the Kidron Valley, up the slopes of the Mount of Olives. He stayed there at the foot, probably at the Garden of Gethsemane or a common place. Or maybe on the other side of the Mount of Olives at the house of Lazarus, Mary and Martha. And in 38 says, then early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. And so the last week, Jesus never stayed in the city. He left every night, came back. In the morning, the people were there ready for him as he taught them. And he did all this until the very night they took him. He was fulfilling the Passover with his own disciples. Pastor Chuck always said that he was going to, he wished he would just die at the pulpit. <laughs> he finished his Sunday morning. He went home. And I believe it was Wednesday then the Lord took him home. He was in the pulpit to the very last. Amazing. No one knows the day or the hour of the Lord's coming, and no one knows the day of their death. <laughs> So we have to be ready and be watching always. What a great exhortation to close with. Lord, thank you for your grace and your goodness. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We thank you for this uh, material, Lord, and we pray that you would just make it alive in our hearts. Thank you for your goodness, Lord, and Father, for all that you've done through the years. I pray for every person here, and I pray that your hand would be upon them. Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, you would speak to their hearts that they would call on your name. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God has brought you here to be saved. To turn from your sin. It's called repentance. Nicodemus needed to repent. Paul needed to repent. I needed to repent. Or maybe you're over the internet. And maybe you don't know Jesus, then the same goes for you. Right where you sit, you can accept Christ right now. This is a prayer of repentance. If you believe Jesus is God who became man, died for your sins and rose from the dead, you can call upon him right now. This is your prayer. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. 
Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Amen.